Hi, and welcome to the Brewery FM podcast, hosted by Scott Hogue and Dan Usher, just two techies separated by four state lines, talking cloud, IoT-connected Bluetooth speakers, and technology. I'm Scott Hogue, and this is episode 22, recorded on 2 July 2015. So Scott, uh, what happens when you ask Siri to divide zero by zero? Uh, the universe falls apart, but she does a much better job with the joke than Alexa. Alexa does kind of, yeah, she doesn't know what she's talking about. I wonder if she could hear me. Hey Alexa, buy Dan a car. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> uh, you might need to bring Alexa downstairs. Uh, no, we're not going to bring Alexa downstairs for recording, sorry. Hey Siri, tell Alexa to buy Dan a car. <laughs> and we just made a bunch of people's phones go off. Wonderful. Yeah, but I mean, with the new Cortana integration with Windows 10 and Office 365, we can do so much more. Ah, uh, good idea. Hey, Cortana, what's OneDrive for business? <laughs> oh, that'll be an interesting one. Yeah, and we've lost everybody. Oh, well. Well, you, you know, so yesterday I had this interesting experience. My caloric intake consisted wholly of a bottle of water and about 2,800 calories of W&Ws. <laughs> Todd Clint would be so proud of you. Yes, yes. It's a glorious thing while you're driving down I-95 South and wondering what's going on as you're just shoveling peanut M&Ms, mega peanut M&Ms, into your mouth. No less. Yeah. Huh. yeah. Sounds like a, it's a good diet to me, man. Yeah, uh, it, was, it worked out. I'm not sure about its actual nutritional value, uh, but... I can certainly tell you that I did not feel like eating any more peanut M&Ms by the time I got here. So I've always been curious with the uh, peanut M&Ms, especially the mega ones. Uh, are those like larger peanuts? Are they just more chocolate? Is it both? Uh, they seem to be more chocolate and they don't actually, mm, the peanut pieces seem to be smaller as well. So you get that satisfying crunch of an actual peanut sometimes in a peanut M&M. I really did not get that with the Megas. Mm. But uh, I feel a food review heading out to the blog, so I might have to get on that. We'll have that in uh, next week's follow-up. But um, yeah, so we didn't really get any follow-up this week. It's been kind of a quiet week. Uh, besides the awesome thunderstorms in Northern Virginia, and the odd thunderstorms of this morning, um, not too much going on, just a lot of thunder and lightning. But uh, the Siri zero divided by zero joke, uh, if you go, if you've got an iOS device, go ask Siri what zero divided by zero is, and you'll probably get a good laugh, or you might cry a little bit. Yeah, it's definitely worth it. So I mean, we can see if we can fire it off. Hey, Siri, what's zero divided by zero? Yeah. Uh, your phone's not plugged in? We, we, we could have made this happen. Yeah, my, my phone's actually charging right now, so... <sighs> Darn. Oh, well, next time. We'll, we'll try it again. We'll nail this down at some point. Uh, let's see. So, yeah, like you said, not too much happened. We had some 
new software and stuff come out this week. So Apple released some iOS 8.4. We've got Apple Music and uh, a new version of iTunes and all the breakages that come along with that. Uh, OS X 10.4.4 dropped as well. I think I see that sitting out here in the app thing saying, hey, oh, 10.10.4. Uh, do you want to update? So I probably won't do that while we're recording, but uh, soon after, get that out of the way and, and see if there's anything new and shiny over there like Discovery D uh, being gone and, and being back to MDNS Responder. That'll be nice. Yeah, so I think that was one of the things they dropped out of 10.4, or 10.10.4, not 10.4.4, good grief. Uh, if they released that, that would be pretty epic, but... Uh, so MDNS Responder is back in play, I believe. So all those problems of DNS responses that we were having, uh, hopefully those will be put to bed. Um, but, you know, you mentioned uh, iTunes and iOS having their updates. You know, Apple uh, released their Apple Music platform this week, which was, I guess, Beats rebranded. Um, kind of interesting, the Beats network you know, they had uh, curated music channels, similar to like uh, SiriusXM, similar to Spotify and other brands. Uh, so I, I haven't listened to it too much, but to be honest, uh, the one little bit that I did listen to seemed more like it was just uh, regular music with the bass track highly amped. So I don't know how much I'm actually going to be listening to it during the three-month trial, but I figure I'll give it three months to, uh, you know, eat some bandwidth and whatnot. Um Oddly enough, the uh, uh, iTunes 12.2 release, uh, it seems that, uh, I guess a couple nights ago, I was trying to watch uh, The Kingsman and was struggling with using uh, family sharing between that and my uh, Apple TV. So looks like uh, they've made some little changes with family sharing as it is right now, such that you can still do family sharing of videos, but you can't do family sharing of music. So somewhere... Probably in the EULA for Apple Music is something that talks about licensing. Uh, so I guess if you want to be able to share music, um, you're going to have to go and do the family pack for uh, iOS or Apple Music rather than you know counting on being able to pull stuff from your Apple Match uh, repository. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, these content creators and their licenses stuff uh, can, can be a bit messy sometimes, but... I'm sure they'll get it all sorted out by like 2018 or so, right? Yeah, I mean, it just it goes back to, you know, who owns the content, how is it licensed. Uh, you know, we, we go back to like the VHS Betamax stuff and folks talking about uh, whether or not they actually own the media. You know, okay, they own the media, but they own the license to the actual, you know, product on the media. Um, interesting stuff. I, I still disagree with... Uh, I guess the way that content is owned, but oh well. So, so mm. it, that's just how it is. <laughs> um, you sound pretty down on Apple Music. Uh, maybe could you tell us how you've been re-energizing early adoption with SharePoint Online and Yammer? <laughs> you like that segue, right? Yeah, that was that was a nice segue. Um, so Microsoft released a document about their uh, program that they call Microsoft Elites. Uh, which I guess is an internal program they've got uh, that uses SharePoint Online. It uses Yammer for the uh, the dialogue and whatnot. But basically, it's uh, a system to gamify 
Uh, I guess adoption of internal products, maybe, or just their internal systems. It didn't really go into too much detail as to what it was, but just that they were using gamification. Um, and you could kind of make out a little bit of the text that they had in some of the screenshots. But essentially it was, you know, hey, we're trying to get you to use internal systems and we're going to add badges and we're going to add dashboards to show folks, you know, who the leaders are and using the systems. So I thought uh, I thought that was pretty cool that they're doing that. Um, they had a little bit of statistical information in there about, uh, you know, getting people engaged and whatnot in using this. And I know a lot of... Uh, a lot of systems internally for most companies, engagement of SharePoint systems can be fairly difficult because folks just go, oh, I know the URL for the one site I need to go to. I'm not going to use the system outside of that. In this case, um, they apparently had to turn people away. So similar to like healthcare having open enrollment, uh, they also had open enrollment for joining this program called Microsoft Elites, um, which I thought was, uh, you know, it's pretty cool. That they've got that issue where they have to turn folks back, but uh, I'd be curious to see how many other organizations go this route of using, uh, SPO for like, you know, your, your data visualization and then Yammer for the conversations. Um, apparently the group that, uh, Microsoft uses is the most active group <laughs> in their Yammer network, uh, which again, pretty cool. I guess, uh, you know, if they're, if they're engaging folks to use internal systems, at least that's what it sounded like. Uh, I guess, you know, as, as folks get more and more engaged with it, they want to talk about it. And that's uh, kind of cool. You ever see Yammer take off like that? Mm, uh, you, you know, I, I've seen some big Yammer networks. Uh, and I, I think governance of Yammer can be a little difficult when you have a large organization. It seems a lot of organizations struggle at first with, some some of the knowledge uh, that, that that needs to go into teaching your users how to tag and the value of groups and and some of the other things that go with that. So I'm I'm hoping something like the Office 365 groups offering uh, can rein that in a little bit and maybe show some upfront value before folks head straight over to Yammer. Uh, you know there was this thing where. Enterprise social used to just be sold as uh, Facebook inside your network. And a lot of organizations fear Facebook and, and the lack of rigidity that comes along with that. Uh, so I, I think having some upfront planning around it and doing a little bit of training um, and having access to resources like this, right? Whether it's white papers on the download center uh, or the uh, you know, Yammer has a bunch of adoption uh, uh, adoption materials. So if you want to set up brown bag lunches or send out emails, you know, here here's, you know, four emails that you can send out once a week for the next month to teach your user base a little bit more about how to use Yammer and introduce it to them. Um, I've also seen some interesting adaptations. There's a uh, adoption site for SharePoint. So discover SharePoint.com. Uh, and you can actually take a lot of the methodologies that are in there for introducing systems to users uh, and, and really adopt them to kind of anything that you throw out within the organization. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of a little bit of work up front around education for your user base. Uh, it can go a long way with level setting uh, expectations about how these tools are supposed to be used. 
and kind of where the vision for um, uh, the vision or, or the intended value of it should be as they're released out. Because I think too often, uh, you know, these things are kind of turned on and not enough emphasis is put on upfront. Let, let's let people know how we intend it to be used and then see where it goes from there. If it morphs into something else uh, that's providing value, that's awesome, right? That, that's great. Nobody's going to come back and say, oh, hey, we've got this great tool and it's providing value to the business. Let's shut it off. But if you turn it on and you don't provide those expectations to your users and they just kind of walk in there and they make it up as they go along, they might not be getting as much value out of it as uh, you as a consumer of a service that you're paying for expect them to get. No, I agree with you, uh, especially when it is systems that you're paying for. Uh, you know, if it was just debt not, uh, debt not nuke, yeah, .NET nuke, um, if it was something like that, <clears throat> and you had thrown it up on like a AWS free server and you were having lack of adoption, well, you didn't put much into it, so you're probably not expecting to get much out of it. Uh, something like Yammer, because you're paying for it through a subscription to Office 365 or just straight up Yammer, I really would hope organizations would uh, you know, make some use out of that and uh, actually try and get folks engaged and train them and help them understand how to curate information and use these, you know, knowledge systems appropriately, but I guess not. The uh, you mentioned the Discover site, um, definitely a great site for uh, those methodologies. They've also got a couple different uh, documents out there that are around like change management, so helping to alert users that systems are coming on board. Um, again, just you know, great information that all you have to do is take it, use it, rebrand it as your own, you're good to go. So. Maybe uh, maybe we'll see early adoption of you know some of these products or just adoption uh, increase because Microsoft's making these investments to get folks you know more on the people side using systems. Yeah, well, it, you know, it's also segmented towards different groups of users, and and Microsoft is really trying to play up every side of this, right? So uh, you've got your uh, your holistic employee base using things like your enterprise social networks, and they've got to leverage those technologies. And then you've got other folks that are using maybe the front end of something like Office 365. Uh, and then one of the other interesting things that popped up this week, so we've got, we've got administrators, right? And, and you and I do a bit of this where we uh, hop in and have to administer these systems. And very much in the same way, we need to be introduced to the tooling and learn it and love it and understand how it works and how it was intended to work. So uh, I don't know if you saw that the Office Group has a new site up at powershell.office.com and they uh, lay out... pretty rocking. Yeah, they, they lay out admin scenarios for um, pretty much everything. This is a pretty neat site. So you can go in and go into scenario-based, hey, how do I use PowerShell with Office 365? and across different services. So I want to do something with Exchange Online or I want to do something with SharePoint Online. And the scenarios are really easy. They go from everything from, hey, let's connect to how do I get help with PowerShell? How do I do things like reporting? Or maybe what's some functionality that only exists within Office 365? Um, they've got a really cool listing on the front page. It's just, hey, what's new? Uh, and those just point to quick, script samples. So they've got a ton of samples out there 
uh, a whole big library of stuff, which is just awesome. You can sort through it by, uh, you know, things that are top rated. Uh, you know, I wish they had a thing on there that said, hey, let's connect to it by like the technology or something, because maybe I want to see things only for um, uh, AD versus uh, Exchange Online, right? Maybe I'm not working with mailboxes today, I'm working with user identities. So, uh, you know, they might still have a little bit of work to do with this, but it's definitely an awesome resource to see them put up. So uh, I had found that uh, earlier this week. And yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, um, the scenario-based stuff is pretty powerful. Hopefully, uh, maybe some of the PowerShell MVPs will come over, join the dark side of the office team, help them <laughs> uh, start to really amplify that a little bit. Uh, maybe. I, I always like watching the GitHub repo for the Azure PowerShell SDK. And occasionally, there's a couple of... Uh, pretty savvy technical folks who will come in, MVPs and things like that. And they'll, they, they will definitely throw down the gauntlet to the guys who are authoring those commandlets and say, hey, um, this isn't the way PowerShell is supposed to work. You really need to fix this. Uh, so, and, and, and there are some instances of that over on the Office 365 side as well, you know, or mm, piping doesn't always work the way you expect it to or things like that. So uh, maybe we'll see some uh, improvements over there. Or maybe someday we can see something like that actually released out to GitHub where everybody can provide some feedback to it. Yeah, the caveat with uh, what, what you mentioned about folks going into that Azure uh, repo though is you know occasionally you'll see somebody go in there that doesn't actually understand PowerShell but they understand basics of cloud and they'll throw something out there and everybody just kind of goes uh, but that's how you do that with PowerShell so sorry yeah uh, but that's good because it's an education thing too right so it's it's a conversation two way street uh, I, I think a lot of the Office three sixty five stuff for the admin side. Uh, it's very much a one-way street from Microsoft down to admins. Here's how thou shalt do it. Um, and there, there are feedback mechanisms. We've talked about user voice, a bunch of things like that in the past. Uh, but there might be better ways to do it looking at some of the other models that exist for other Microsoft technologies that are out there today. Point taken. Um, you mentioned kind of that uh, that two-way street. Uh, I know a lot of us have been talking to Microsoft over the past couple of years and saying, hey, why did you get rid of that, uh, that voice over IP system that you had out there for integration with Office 365? Um, what, what's up? You know, why did you get rid of it? Uh, so it seems like they've kind of they've taken that to heart and they've gone to great extent to bring it back for Skype for Business. Uh, a couple days ago, or I guess yesterday, they announced uh, Skype meeting broadcast as well as uh, the ability to use cloud PBX and PSTN calling. Um, some of this, I mean, for those of us that have been using these tools for a while, it seems like stuff that uh, has been around or was around with, you know, link server 2013 and link for, uh, link online, but, uh, they kind of, they, they can that stuff. So it's good to see it coming back. Uh, hopefully they're able to really, you know, make it more robust in the sense that it's not just one service provider. Um, the Skype meeting broadcast stuff though, I think, uh, that was in, I swear that was in link. Um, when Link 2013 first came out, and I think they just, uh, maybe they got rid of it because they had technical issues, but I could have sworn I saw that a long time ago, and maybe they just rebranded it and uh, brought it back. 
Mm, yeah, you're more familiar with that stuff than I am. So I would lean on your memory. Of course, it could just be live meeting that I'm remembering. Ooh, live meeting was always a fun one. It's still around. Yeah, I know. I still love when I get invites to it. <laughs> um, so some other little office goodies. Uh, I know this was announced probably about a week ago. Um, Office for Android Phone is here. So for those folks who use an Android phone, uh, you finally have the general availability of Office for Android. Uh, Those of us that have had iOS devices have been enjoying this for a while. Windows Phone users, of course, have been mocking all of us because they've had it for so long. Yeah, well, uh, iOS first, everything else second, right? Uh, Even for Microsoft stuff, they tend to... You tend to see these applications or these enhancements come out on on that side first. It's a large platform, so it makes sense for them to service it, especially with the kind of mobile cloud first, uh, mobile first, cloud first methodology that's being followed, right? Yeah. So the other uh, the other thing that the team put out there that looked fairly interesting, um, the Office twenty sixteen preview update two. Uh, was pushed out yesterday. So for everybody that loves uh, toying with latest, greatest tech, uh, Microsoft did put that out. There are some pretty nifty enhancements that they put in there. Probably the one that looks the most interesting to me is the ability to use like your touchpad or draw, I guess, yeah. If you have like a Wacom um, touchpad or if you've got just a, a tablet that has the ability for you to draw on the screen. Like a Surface Pro 3? Yeah, you know, like Surface Pro 3 or 2 or 1. You can go in uh, on the Pro Editions and use those x86 applications. Um, And you can basically draw what your equation looks like and then tell it to uh, figure out what it looks like in an actual, like, equation for you to drop into PowerPoint or, like, a Word document, which I thought was pretty handy because if you've ever tried using like the equation editor in word, that thing is a beast to learn and figure out. I use that all the time in college. So I wish, I wish I had had something like this, you know, a couple years ago. Mm. Yeah. I wonder, uh, didn't they have an announcement for like OneNote, like some of the OneNote classroom stuff that it could do equation recognition now. So I I wonder if this is driven out of the same kind of thing. Some of those advancements they've been making in the education space. Uh, making their way over to some some more of the consumer stack, and that stuff's always really neat to see. You, you know, mean uh, you mean sharing things across products? Ooh, <laughs> scary thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll see what happens when you can draw an equation into Dynamics Nav. Now that they're part of the you know the overall software vision team, <laughs> uh, you know, CRM for your equations. We'll, we'll see what happens there. Yeah, uh, the the classroom stuff is definitely pretty cool that they're bringing in, too. Um, I, I don't know if you got a chance to listen to it, but uh, speaking of Office and kind of that user interface across all the different things, um, Jeremy Thake was talking with a couple folks out at, I guess, SP TechCon Developer Days um, about what they call the Office UI fabric. So apparently that's something that they are uh, testing internally. Um, they They kind of they mentioned it and they said yeah they were giving it to select folks to uh kind of test out and give feedback on before they made it more public um, which you know is kind of the the good way to do things figure out you know who the folks are that are using this stuff uh get their feedback on it just like you would anything else and then put it out for general consumption so 
As the article text says, Office UI Fabric is being privately tested right now. Um, so props to you know Jeremy Fake and uh, Chris Johnson and those guys for pushing forward to try and have some uniformity across you know all the different platform pieces from that UI aspect. Yeah, we've talked about that a bunch. That that marketing team over there is uh, doing a great job right now with uh, pushing things out and getting everything kind of front and center in the community and, and being quite a bit more open with uh, what's out there. Um, so, hey, I'm, I'm reading through the show notes here, and you, you had something that caught my eye. Um, I, I, I heard uh, those guys on the MS Cloud show, speaking of Chris and AC, they were, t- they were talking about this the other day a little bit, but they didn't go too deep dive on it. So um, you have a note down here about uh, app, uh, the Azure application proxies, uh, so like the Azure AD application proxies versus application gateways and what goes into that. So... I figured, you know, we get just a little bit more time this morning. Maybe we take like 10, 15 minutes and, and chat through that and talk about what that is and maybe clear up some confusion for folks. Yeah, let's go for it, man. All right. Where, 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 where do you want to start? You want to start with the gateways or the proxies? Uh, I'd say the proxies. All right. Let's start with proxies. So Azure application proxies, they're really part of Azure AD, right? So application proxies actually require those uh, additional subscriptions or SKUs within Azure AD. Um, So you're going to have a couple of things that need to happen up front before you can use this. So you need to be in the basic or premium editions of uh, Azure AD. And that's about it. Once you've got that, you can go ahead and leverage this. All right. So uh, now that we got that out of the way and everybody understands that and they've figured out and gone and figured mm, once they can figure out how to buy those things for themselves. uh, So let's talk about what the proxy actually is. So uh, the proxy gives us a way to surface internal applications. So say we have something Uh, like SharePoint, uh, integrated Windows authentication sitting on premises, right? We have a farm that sits out there and it's accessed through a URL like HTTP uh, colon whack whack SharePoint. And uh, so that's great. It sits out internally and and, and there it is. And your users can get to it really happily and, and they can do what they need to do. Um, as an organization, when you go ahead and you look at saying, how do we maybe... Uh, surface that or let users get to that from home or from outside the network and all the things that have to go into that. Well, uh, we probably need some more network segmentation. We need some servers out in a DMZ. What does that mean for uh, internal user IDs being exposed to the outside world? There's a lot of considerations that go into that. And hopefully Azure Application Proxy can help uh, cut down on that, right? So if we're leveraging something like Azure AD, uh, we can do things like DirSync and, and, and the directory synchronization tooling. So if we DirSync users up and we have users up there and we create an application proxy, we can actually create an externally accessible URL over SSL, right? And, and this is really cool. So we could have like, uh, do, 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 do. I forget, do you know the restrictions on like what we can have for the URL names? Trying to remember off the top of my head. Uh, yeah, off the top of my head, I'm blanking on it. I don't yeah. use these too often, but I yeah. know about them. Yeah, uh, well, but by default, it's going to give you um, kind of a, 
an, an external URL automatically. So you're going to get something like, you know, again, we had HTTP SharePoint internally. You're going to get an SSL endpoint uh, out in Azure. So it's going to be HTTPS uh, internal SharePoint dash contoso.msapproxy.net. Um, and then you can actually have these pre-authenticate. So again, if we're using IWA on-premises, uh, this can do... Uh, some really neat things for us, right? It can do Kerberos constrained delegation. Um, so we can basically seamlessly pass our credentials through if we're on domain joined PCs and all those kind of things. Um, so one of the really interesting things about this, or, or one of those areas that I think it cuts down on friction and deployment, is that you're going to uh, use a connector on premises. So this is using kind of service bus relays and service bus connectors uh, to basically. Uh, allow Azure AD to talk back to that application for your users and pass that traffic back and forth. So you don't need to have a site-to-site -site VPN or an express route or anything else in place. You can actually just have that traffic go ahead and, and do what it needs to do. So, you know, maybe if you're a smaller organization that, that needs to surface some of this stuff and you don't have a lot of the infrastructure behind it, uh, this is a really great way to stand it up and, and get things going. Of course, if you do have Express Route or something like that in place, then all your traffic is just going to pa pass over that connection, um, and you can be rest assured that it's going to be low latency and, and secured and, and all those kind of things. Yeah, so uh, a lot of the time, you mentioned kind of the, you know, you don't have the kit for small businesses. Uh, a lot of the time, the organizations that I know of that uh, want to publish SharePoint externally, like you mentioned, you know, they they do have to have additional kit. Um, so they do have to go throw up, you know, in the olden days, it was a ISO server or a TMG server or a UAG. Um, now they're, you know, looking at those Windows Server 2012 R2s using the WAP role. Um, so, you know, this, this kind of provides that capability to proxy your traffic through it, get logging off of it, uh, protect things. Um, you know, it's funny, the article out there about publishing applications with the application proxy talks about how you can use custom domains. But then if you search the article, it just says, look down for custom domains. So they don't actually tell you how to use custom domains, but apparently it's possible. So you don't have to have that uh, appproxy.net um, URL. You can have something a little more elegant, but, you know, by default, similar to how you have on Microsoft.com, uh, you, by default, you get one of these Microsoft-generated URLs. So very, very handy um, if you want to set something up and not have to go down through the path of setting up that additional kit. Um, they do also have you know, some, <coughs> some uh, application proxy information for using SSO for like your on-prem IWA apps with KCD. So if you had uh, applications where you were trying to proxy, and like, like you mentioned, the IWA side, when you're trying to proxy... Uh, a user at a boundary and then generate a Kerberos ticket for them. All that is available there for you. So it's pretty slick what you're able to do with these things. Yes, yeah, super powerful stuff. Um, on that URL side or that URI side, basically once you go ahead and create that application, then you have the opportunity to go ahead and edit it. And when you go into that edit, if you have any verified domains, uh, you can set those external URLs and then you just create C names in your DNS, and it just does a C name back to uh, uh, you know wherever you want it to go. So it'll go back to that custom uh, msproxy.net. 
uh, makes things pretty simple, right? And, th and that's the way that they use C names all over the place in Azure. So uh, that should be pretty familiar to most folks. So that's application proxies at a high level, right? So, so we have a thing that is part of Azure Active Directory. Again, it requires those additional SKUs for accessing internal applications and actually proxying those connections back, right? It's got proxy in the name. It works out really nice. They, they, they did a nice job naming that service. Uh, how about application gateways? So I, I know there's a little bit of confusion around this and, and, and what they are. You want to tell us what application gateways are? Well, so probably the, the first thing that most folks, they read and they go, oh, I know exactly what that is. That deals with VPNs. No, it's, it's another one of those naming things where, yes, the words Azure and Gateway are in the title, but um, it's an application gateway. It's not a VPN gateway. So it's not the, the gateway that you might connect back to uh, your server 2012 R2 box. It's running RAS to be able to create a site-to-site -site VPN. It's it's actually more aligned to uh, having kind of a, a gateway for your application to be proxied across. And I say proxied across incorrectly. Um, whoops. <clears throat> um, so if you're familiar with application request routing in IIS and your Windows Server box, uh, if you've been running Windows Server and you've been doing some of these uh, <coughs> request routings to have custom load balancing where... Uh, you know, you might have a user agent with one specification of a browser. You always want to route to a certain server because it's a honeypot. Um, you used application request routing. Or if you had some just bizarre uh, use case where you needed to bounce something inside and then outside, uh, you might use this uh, ARR functionality of IIS. So in the same way, they built that into the Azure Application Gateway. Uh, to give you that capability of doing routing to your different web VMs that you might have set up up in Azure. So it does load balancing, it does cookie affinity, um, it does all the neat things that the Azure load balancer doesn't. Um, yeah, so, so really we're, we're talking about an offering that's a step above the Azure load balancer. Uh, in, in the background, it uses the Azure load balancer for uh, some things, like where it can use them. So it tries to offload into its own services, but... Uh, it's layer seven load balancing, right? So, you know, we're, we're, that's it. It's, and, and it's a service that you're going to pay for and, uh, and leverage. Uh, one of the neat things that I like about this service is, like you said, it's basically application request routing. Uh, but now I don't need to manage all those ARR servers within IaaS anymore. Uh, and that could be a little bit Mm, there, there was a little bit of friction there trying to manage all that stuff yourself within IaaS, um, especially when you got into situations where you needed uh, high availability across your ARR, like that, that web farm that was actually doing application request routing and then throwing in things like uh, some, some type of affinity, so cookie affinity uh, or something like that. Uh, one of the other really neat things that the gateway supports is SSL offload. So uh, that's pretty nice to have out there. So uh, if you're in situations where mm, you might want to do that, maybe you want to take some, some of that overhead, you know, however minimal it might be, you want to remove that, that overhead for SSL processing, uh, you can actually get that up into the application gateways, which is really nice. So the one thing that I would question about that is whether or not it uh, can help you out with like 
data inspection um, where <clears throat> that offload happens. Uh, if it's possible to use it to like uh, take that traffic and re-encrypt it back to the box, because I know um, a lot of companies are very you know security mindful and they still want to be able to inspect the traffic, but they still want to keep like the entire uh, the traffic, you know, encrypted in route to the server. So I don't know if that's, that's something maybe down the road they'll put in. Oh, well, yeah, that's an, that's an application by application or organization by organization thing, right? So not all organizations have that requirement to be SSL front to back. Uh, and if you don't have that, and, and this is something that you can use, uh, then, then, Go ahead and stand it up and uh, get going with it. You know, it's it's not the uh, it's not too hard to get up and running with it. It's actually it's it's not leveraged through the portal yet, either the old portal or the new portal. So it's all in the uh, uh, all sitting out in PowerShell in the REST APIs. Yeah, I guess you know. I guess my thought is just. Uh... You could probably, you know, there are probably ways you could do what I'm talking about. Just uh, uh, out of the box, you know, overall, the application gateway does look pretty sexy to me. Yeah, I, you know, it's it has its place, right? So you're going to have to evaluate standing up saying, hey, does this meet the requirements of my application and what I need it to do? Uh, it might not. So one of the other things to keep in mind is we have all these network appliances available in the marketplace from other folks. So there's Kemp load balancers out there and we can do things around F5 and things like that. So maybe uh, there's another vendor that meets um, some more of those needs, right? If you have extra security considerations, maybe you want to do like more like a, uh, like you said, like a web application firewall. So, so we want to do a WAF and, and we want to be able to inspect some of that traffic and do the decryption in the middle and watch what's happening. Uh, one of those offerings might be a little bit better for you. Yeah, and if you go out and look in like the marketplace, you've got a ton of different options. So you just uh, you get to mix and blend. It's pretty pretty interesting world we live in of being able to just uh, slap things together on the fly. Yeah, it's 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 definitely very neat. Um, and and one of the other things is you can combine something like application gateway. So you know, being that it's this Azure service and sitting up there, uh, you can combine it with things like traffic manager as well and start passing things around. And you can get pretty convoluted with some of these configurations. So, uh, you know, again, it's that thing that's got its got its place. Um, and, and like we started out, we started talking about all this, you know, we've got application proxies and application gateways, and they can be a little bit confusing because they do do different things, you know. So the, so the could we say key takeaways are application proxies are to actually proxy applications. We've got like a reverse proxy, basically like WAP in the cloud, right? That that uh, Windows Server application proxy sitting up there as a managed service. Uh, proxy a connection from an external source to an internal source. And application gateway is really talking about doing uh, load balancing and uh, some type of session-based routing maybe uh, to really any resource that it can talk to, whether that resource sits externally out in Azure or maybe it sits internally as long as the network can get back. Maybe you have a site-to-site VPN or express route or something in place. Yep, I would say those are definitely the main takeaways. It's good stuff and I'm glad we were able to cover that concisely. Yeah, with a whole three minutes to spare. We're doing pretty good before our hard stop today. So, yeah, uh, I think... uh, Hmm, looking through everything else. Uh, 
I don't really know if there's too much else to really talk about. Uh, so I think there's one other thing we could mention really quick, just because we have time while we're talking about Azure. Uh, so basically, virtual machine services, everything that exists within virtual machine services has GA'd within ARM. Uh, so this is kind of exciting because support for this could be kind of spotty in the past. So uh, Azure virtual machines, virtual networks, uh, load balancer network interfaces, public IP addresses, network security groups, that's a big one, right, those NSGs, uh, VPN gateways, and application gateways are all generally available and supported through Azure Resource Manager. Kick butt. Pretty cool, right? So, so we were missing the ability to do some of those things before, and that was one of those weird, hey, we've got to cross back and forth between these two lands. Uh, so hopefully we see some uh, updated guidance and updated templates and things come out, maybe a little bit more focused on the networking stack, since uh, quite a few of those virtual machine services actually focus on uh, the networking side. You're not you're not playing with those already, Scott? Uh, no, I haven't. I'm, you know, I don't always get a chance to play with this stuff just off the cuff. Sometimes I have to wait for a client or something like that to come along. So only so much time in the day. You know, when I'm consumed by uh, this just deluge of M&Ms hitting me on the front end, it, it's, it's a little tough to uh, produce sometimes. We'll have to uh, get remedial training with you, with uh, Todd Clint to help you with those WNWs. But uh, I guess, you know, that's, that's all we got for this week. Uh, tune in next week post-holiday and have a safe weekend. Yeah. All right. Let's button this up, Dan. Button, button. <laughs>